The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. It's 2050, the United Nations in in New York, leaders of the world gathering for a make or break climate summit because things are, to use a technical term, going to hell in a handbasket. This is the topic of a documentary, a sort of a drama documentary that is being done by uh, Mark Little, which is going to be broadcast Wednesday night. Wednesday evening, 9.35. on RT1. And given the techie nature of it all, we should say also on the RT player, so you can stream it thereafter if you want this is a look forward to what climate change is actually going to do. Yeah, what we wanted most of all to do is, and it's very much like a primetime show, which I think partly was I'm there. It's like you're watching something you know is the format that you have today, but you're looking into the future, 27 years ahead. And we start out with the usual format, which is a live studio guests who are actually from the present. These are experts. So this and is like almost like you back on primetime, exactly. only it's primetime in 2050. Yeah, there was a right. weird point where I walked in and there was these two TT, because it's called Tomorrow Tonight. But if you remember the font from Today Tonight, so I was transported back to 1980, <laughs> watching Olivia Brian O'Leary Farrell. and Brian Farrell wanting to be them. And so the blast from the past then was contrasting with the future. So 27 years ahead, and I'm hosting this show with Carla O'Brien, and she's doing the explainers, how we got here. The experts are telling this. There's fictional characters in movies and films in this beautiful set. And there are two things happening as you, as you watch us do what we do in the studio. First, as you said, the bad things, the things that we really can't avoid. We're going to have extreme heat events, uh, weather events that will produce mass migration. Our migration crisis will become something that is a political hot potato beyond what we have now. And yet, at the same time, we start to talk about the what-ifs we got it right. So, for example, what if the indigenous people of the Amazon rainforest took back control of their lands? If they work with international organizations, could they avert the tipping point where we lose the Earth's lungs and then we get into farming in Ireland? And that, that's really fascinating. What if the right policies, the right people, the right determination for a more regenerative type of farming happened? Now, when you say regenerative stories? type of farming, does this mean reduction in herd? Is that fundamentally where we have to get the, to? The irony is we have a dairy farmer in the studio with us from the present day. Someone who's very expert, has lived experience and the shift obviously toward more plant-based Diets for us in the future is a big thing. But the compounding innovation in farming and agriculture is what I'm really fascinated by. And I came into this kind of shocked in the end by how much potential there is there. Now, I won't spoil the plot lines, but for me, what was really interesting was we are talking about a science fiction, but it's grounded right in the facts. And there's some kind of strange plot lines, some stretch your imagination. But talking to Colin Murphy, the writer of the fiction afterwards. And I realized some of the things he has are verbatim quotes from tech billionaires today or people who are, you know, aware of the science. And that was, for me, what was so challenging was the tension between the fact and the what if. What's it like acting you? Well, it's funny because once you're actually in the studio and you're asking questions, you know this, Anton. I mean, part of what you're doing is... Clinging on by my teeth, Mark, let's be clear. You're trying to be the conductor, right? You're trying to f- essentially get to the conversation. But you have to do lines, I assume. You, this is scripted. Like you have, It isn't that you can organically react because you have to be, quotes, in character. Yeah, but when I was in prime time and you, you go in, you've got your auto cue, you've got your script and you go through the questions and what you're there to do is not to advocate, you're there to bring the best out of your guests. Once that's, no matter whether that's today or tomorrow, the same kind of skills kick in and I really enjoy that idea 
of going places as well with some of the guests, which are actually kind of fun to think what Ireland might look like. What <laughs> that it, was part did of it. Did it give you a taste for it again? Did you think, you know what, all this entrepreneur lark, all of this <laughs> tech stuff, I'll park it and go back to prime time. Listen, there's only one thing I've ever been any good at, right? It's to look around the corner, see what's happening next and tell people without them being paralyzed by fear. Give them some sense of empowerment. So being an entrepreneur, being a journalist, um, being somebody who's involved in technology, that's been the thing I've become obsessed by. So anything that gives me a chance to communicate in a way that you feel there's just the right amount of anxiety, but a feeling of agency, like I can do something about this. And I feel that when I look at the big issues we have today, whether it's climate change, AI, or global instability, as you're talking Talk about. Talk to me right? about that agency part, because that's one of the things when you look at the climate change debate. There is a, there's constant discussion about it and constant fretting about it. It's very difficult to look at really concrete, effective agency at either governmental level or even at private industry level. Yeah, like I think there's two golden rules about looking into the future and trying to be more empowered. The first is to have two contradictory thoughts in your brain. First of all, in the case of climate change, things really are that bad. The second thing is that things potentially could be much better, that we're not powerless. That's the second golden rule. No matter what, as a voter, as a consumer, you are not powerless. So obviously there's going to be things we can do individually and the studies show us, the SRI is a really good piece of research to show us that we, when we listen to the science a little bit, we become way more aware of what we need to do from a political standpoint. Elect leaders who reward our best intentions when it comes to policy. But there is a good po- case in point. You will undoubtedly have been uh, reading the papers over the past couple of weeks. If you look at last weekend, the, the, the Sunday Indo did a poll of what are the things that affect voters. And it is what it could have been back in Brian Farrell's day. It is health, it is justice, it is housing, and it is cost of living. And way down the list, kind of because we know we should, is climate change. It ain't a prime issue. Some of these studies show it's higher up there. It's behind housing, it's behind healthcare. And the funny thing is when you give people a basic primer, 10 minutes on the science, you see people moving into a much more activist interventionist position. It's really great research done. But what you also see is that people overestimate the impact of some things like buying local uh, and the underestimation of things like changing their diet to plant-based diet or to you know, ensure their homes are, are protected and uh, you know, basically good energy protection in their homes. So there is actually, I think, at the moment when you do the surveys, that little bit of a nudge to do what we're trying to do, which is to say, listen, this is a world you will know as the sum total of your choices, good or bad. Transport them into a future where they're going to be confronted by their kids or grandkids who say, why? Why didn't you do something? And that kind of nudge, not a lecture, is the kind of thing that has proven to be very effective. The one thing that's not effective is scaring the bejesus out of people to the point <laughs> that they're paralysed. What about the Irish specific focus? Because you talked about things like um, the issue of migration becoming a significant uh, political issue. Significant geopolitical issue? Or is this the kind of stuff that's going to hit home? Because I wonder, is there a sense of, look, we all know climate change is going to be a problem, but it's going to be a problem where people live in huge populations near the sea and where there's hurricanes, neither of which really is Ireland. Yeah, but what's going to happen is, for example, the European Union will have to act collectively, right? We will have to be in a position where people are not going to be fleeing for better lives. They're going to be fleeing for their lives. So, for example, extreme uh, heat waves, wet bulb heat waves happening, for example, in India will drive people away, not because they're searching for a better life, because there is no life left where they grew up. Now, in that circumstance, it's not just about individual countries. The European Union will have to face a challenge. And we present a what-if 
in which Ireland has a very direct role on that front line of migration and other countries around us have taken more extreme measures to fight back and push back against this tide, which is something we deal with in the programme that I think is done very well and very intimately from a human perspective while not missing the complexity of the challenge. We're not underplaying it at all. If you want to see the show, it is tomorrow, tonight. It's on on Wednesday. That's November 15th, 9.35 on RT1. It's also going to be obviously on the player. And is there something, you said there was something the day before? Is there We're actually doing it about Tuesday night to talk about <clears> the, <throat> how difficult it is to have the science fiction of all of this written. It's a, actually sold out now, this event, the Project Arts Centre, but we will have a podcast of that event to give people a bit of the how we made the programme and what inspired it. The production company, Loose Horse, who uh, did this before on, on things in the past, Treaty Live. So just giving you a bit of sense of what's going on and introducing to other people who are telling stories in a very innovative way. I asked you about your your sort of quasi-return to uh, primetime for the purposes of this. The experience of returning to RT, uh, I think Kevin Backer, one of the things he was asked about was climate change coverage in RT, and he gave a commitment as the new DG that there would be a greater level of that kind of coverage. What of the state of the place, given that you have been in and it's probably the first time that you've been as a a freelancer in a while, what's the morale like in RT after what it's been through? Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I have so many contradictions uh, in my mind here, so many conflicts of interest. I am friends, I have family in RT, people I literally feel like I've been with forever. There's no lack of commitment to the future. I mean, that's the irony of it all. I I think what I would say about Kevin Backer's role, which is obviously unenviable, as long as RT sticks to the concept of public information as a public utility, right? We can pay for our newspapers, we can listen to the radio, but at the end of the day, we all need a shared set of facts to rally around. And that mission doesn't go away. So, you know, battered and bruised, I know people from RT are right now, but as long as that's the North Star and the government make the decisions, the right decisions around public funding of public media, there's a future. And as long as we're focused as well as not just doing the horse race coverage of politics, but addressing the core issues like climate change, they're the North Stars. That funding thing, though, I mean, it is, it's what, it's now 10 or 11 years ago that I think it was then Pat Rabbit as the minister had, uh, had brought all the way to cabinet that thing of let's shift from a licence fee into a media charge and get this done. We now see 20 million of a deficit, record numbers of people not paying the licence fee. No, that bodes well. Yeah, but the licence fee is not fit for purpose. We are in a tiny minority of European countries that rely on that funding model. The real solution, I think, and I was in the Future of Media Commission, which made this very recommendation, was treat public media as a public utility and fund it from exchequer funding. It's the only sustainable way and give some editorial guarantees that people can't interfere with the independence. But one thing don't, people don't talk about a lot is I care less about the institution of RTE and more about what would happen if you reformed the public service media to be much more rooted in community, to be more innovative in the digital systems that it adopted and potentially fund sources of public media that are not RTE, programming and documentary making and drama making that is coming from the independent sector. And that future in which we're not worried about RTE as like the banks or an institution of our life, but much more about the idea of public information, which we own. That's the future I want to see. Mark, thank you so much. That is Mark Little. And if you want to see Mark Little hosting the future, that's going to be uh, the programme is tomorrow, tonight. It's on Wednesday. And that is, of course, November 15th, 9.35 on RTE 1. And thereafter, you'll be able to get it on the RTE player. The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology. We're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk.